So, <clears throat> anybody here, how would you like a million air miles on your first flight? Okay, you know what I mean? A million miles, you know, you kind of, some of these people fly forever and then they go, oh, I got a million miles and you get some benefits, you get upgrades, you get, you know, you get to go into the, the flight, the lounges of the air, air um, that you travel with, the airline you travel with, uh, you get first, you know, you get first in line. I love that. Um, and, and you just get some other perks and some other good things. Well, in an article titled Baby Born on Cebu, I think I'm saying that right, Pacific Airline gets one million air miles. Anybody see that? Uh, the article begins, here's one kid who will probably learn to fly before she can crawl. After being born four hours into a flight from Dubai to Manila, baby girl Haven has been gifted with one million air mile points. Airline CEO Lance Gankavakave, yes, said, Haven would be awarded one million points on the airline's get-go rewards program to celebrate the birth. The points have no expiration date and can be shared with her family. Haven's mom went into labor more than five weeks early while flying on the aircraft operated by this Philippines carrier. And, and, and the CEO said, we're happy that both mother and daughter are doing well and would like to commend our flight and cabin crew for handling the situation with utmost professionalism and efficiency. He goes on to say, we also express our sincerest gratitude to two volunteer nurses who helped ensure the baby's safe delivery. One passenger says, we only heard one semi-loud scream, and a few seconds later, there were tinier, cute screeches, and it was then we knew the baby was born. Luckily, she had to push only once, and moments later, the woman got up, went back in her seat, baby in arms. (laughs) One fellow passenger described on Facebook how Haven's mom returned to her seat after giving birth during the most normal flight And the article ends, Haven's arrival delayed the flight arrival at its destination by nearly nine hours. But no complaints, she added, everyone in the plane was blessed. And I thought about that. Two nurses among plane's passengers helped with the delivery. Alongside um, flight attendants, cabin crew, a pilot who diverted the plane to another airport, People choosing to be catch choosing to be blessed rather than irritated and angry. And India, willing to allow the plane to land and for them to get further medical assistance and to get that secured. And I thought to myself as we begin this series, together, living out the values of Christ, together, it's amazing what we can do. It's amazing. Nine-hour delay, and everyone felt, well, they say everyone felt blessed. And how people came together. There are all kinds of together stories in the Bible. I was thinking of this series and, and putting together, because one of the things that we're really talking about is a stress in our, in our strategic plan this year, is we just really want to create more and more momentum around unity. And, and I was reading some of these statements in the Bible around together, and I, I realized together has a number of different outcomes. Together, we can do great harm. And yet, on the other hand, together, we can do remarkable good. And not together, 
We don't do a whole lot. Our impact just lessens greatly. In fact, in, in Psalm 2-2, you see one of the pictures, and I could give you a bunch of them, but at one point it says, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, and, and they cause a sense of devastation. They wreak all kinds of havoc in people's lives. There's also this reality in, in Proverbs that we're told, and Proverbs is just kind of like general truths in a sense. These are, these are um, you know, the principles of truth. And it states that one of the principles of nature, one of the laws of life, is that in people or things coming together, great things can be accomplished for good or bad. So Psalm 30, 27 says, Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. And they can be mighty devastating. Just tell a farmer. I think we have a picture of these locusts. Look at that. And then I think another one is it shows the devastation of the crop. Now imagine that. That's a whole army of locusts together making one huge difference. Four or five of them in a field, that wouldn't look like that. But together, the word of God tells us it's kind of a principle of nature. It's a law of life. Incredible things can happen. In fact, together we can do great good. And, and we're going to look at a few of those scriptures a little bit later as we get into the message. But this series that we're going to be looking at is together we're going to live out these values of Christ. And so the next few weeks we're going to be just talking about what it means to be together around some of these values. And, and our mission is that we will together, this is what we talk about from time to time, Our mission is that we will together continually be thinking about, looking for, and obediently, whenever the Spirit prompts us, we will take our next step to know, follow, and become like Jesus. And what I think is interesting about this, we're saying we want to do this together as a group of people, a body, a community, a church. But when it comes to doing these steps, you individually have to take them as well. And I want to make really clear, um, we can't make anybody take their next step. Here's where the word of God is really clear too. We are re- each one of us responsible for whatever that step is in our life. Because, you know, guess what, folks? None of us, none of, not, there's not going to be one of us who's going to stand before God. And we'll all stand before God, but we will not be able to stand before God. And when God says, did you, did you know me? Did you follow me? Did you become like me? And you go, well, you know, I would have, but the pastor was not a very good preacher. Church didn't play the songs I liked. And, you know, that messed me up. Church didn't have the programs and ministries that really could have helped me and our family or me individually. You're not going to get that opportunity. He's going to look at you and go, did you take, did you responsibly do what you needed to do in your life to access the opportunities where as you would walk, you would take whatever next step it is that you might know me more intimately and you might follow me more closely and you might become more like me in the way you love. Because together, what we want to do in our mission and the steps we want to take is a few broad things and I'm going to share these with you this morning. We want to actually create a kind of culture here which I will call a Christ-like culture. And we want to take this Christ-like culture, and as we create it, it gets built on. It flows out of a Christ-like character, which is dependent on each one of us and us as a group. And when those kind of things happen, you begin to create this Christ-like culture. Based on this Christ-like character, there is then what I would call a, 
a, a Christ-like and I forgot the there it is, it came to mind, capabilities. So, you know, I, I'm using these. It's the idea that as we create this culture where everyone's welcome, where it's okay for someone to say it's not perfect, and it is in this place, when I come into that kind of culture where God is present, anything is possible. And so, what we're going to look at is a Christ-like culture and this Christ-like character that allows for what I call Christ-like capabilities to be able to do the things that Jesus did when he was present on earth. So what's this Christ-like culture? If you look at Jesus and you look at his life, you'll see that he created that everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he, he, he was the culture. Every region, every town, every field, every lakeside, every synagogue, every home, Jesus created a culture. There was this sense that when people came to Jesus or wherever Jesus showed up, there was a sense where people were welcome, they were, they were aware of the fact that they didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to be perfect. They didn't have to act, have their act together. In fact, they came in this welcoming presence because they knew they needed help, because they knew in the presence of this person, Jesus, God was there and available and could do things in their life that they themselves couldn't do. In fact, Matthew 4, 23 through 24, I could list a bunch of verses, but just listen to this one in Matthew chapter 4, 23 through 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, which is the Roman province in Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having... Um, seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them and then it says large crowds from Galilee the Decapolis and the Decapolis is the, it really means ten towns which were ten towns in a Gentile uh, an area that was was not Jewish which was opposed in the sense of God they were coming it says from those towns as well as Jerusalem Judea and the region across the Jordan which is important that group across the Jordan so all over that area People were coming into his presence. Summed up, it's anybody and anyone was welcome. If you look at the crowd, you could see that by the people they listed, they were people who, they didn't look in any way perfect. They themselves didn't have their act together, so to speak. And and it says, and I like the way Peterson puts it in his message paraphrase. He says, Jesus used synagogues for meeting places and taught people the truth of God. God's kingdom was his theme. That beginning right now, they were under God's government, a good government. He also healed people of their diseases and of the bad effects of their bad lives. And an interesting, I love the way he says, the bad effects of their bad lives. Whether a prostitute, a greedy tax collector, cheat. Whether a life that had been riddled with addiction. Or a marriage that was destroyed through neglect or adultery. Or a childhood trauma that ended up with your life being messed up through choices you've made, through what has been done to you. It's kind of like anybody and anyone was welcome into the presence of Jesus. Jesus had this sense where people came and they just felt like they belonged. They were in. They were a part of his crowd, so to speak. 
Last uh, week I spoke at length, and what I want to speak uh, specifically for just a few moments on is this first part of everyone's welcome, because we'll be looking at nobody's perfect and anything's possible in the next couple of weeks. But I spoke quite a bit on this idea of welcoming, right? And so if, if you didn't hear that last week, I encourage you to go to that, because I'm, that's kind of some of the primary part of this message, so you, you, you get it from next, last week, Okay. But what I want to share with you about this week with this idea of welcoming is that you need to look at Jesus. He welcomed people in his presence. They followed him. And they had a sense of belonging that sometimes came long before they believed and started to become like him in any way. I mean, if you look at the way, you, as you look at the life of Jesus, you see there was a sense of you belong, and then you believe, and then in time you become. It's a process. And I think sometimes the church gets that wrong. It gets it mixed up. We seem to stress if you believe like us, if you get your beliefs in line, and you get your beliefs in line, then you start becoming like us. And usually we measure becoming around religious activity and things such as that, which is not what the word of God. Religious activity really means to help you become like Jesus. And what you find throughout scripture is what God is constantly seeking to call us to become is people who love God and love others. And when you begin to kind of, you know, get the belief right, and then you get the becoming, and you start showing some things that you're really a little bit different, and usually it's religious activity, then we say, now you can belong. Now, I'm not talking about membership here. That's a different thing that we'd be talking I'm just talking about that sense of where you feel in. I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus, um, many people belonged to Jesus. They felt that way. They, they felt as if by the way he treated them, the way that he looked at them, the way he cared for them, they, they felt like they were with him. You ever had that experience where you come into a group and you kind of just see yourself, you kind of feel on the outside? Or when you've come into a group where you come in, and even though you don't know him, you feel welcome, you feel in, you feel part of the group. Well, that's what happened with Jesus. When people came to him, they just felt like not only Jesus, but this God in Jesus was welcoming them. And so in the church, instead of belong, believe, become, we often have it believe, become, and then you can belong. And you're kind of on outside till you kind of just believe. But if you look at the followers of Jesus, here's one of them, Judas. Take this for example. Jesus spent a whole night praying. And he chooses 12 guys, and he chooses one, and he chooses Judas. Judas belonged, but he didn't believe, we see in Scripture, and he didn't become like Jesus. But then you can go on, and you say, well, yeah, that's kind of a little bit different. There's a reason. Listen to what the the gospel says um, in John chapter 6, as Jesus gives this particularly tough talk. He's just told people, you know what, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Okay? And it says in chapter 6, verse 60, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can believe that to truly live, as Jesus has just said, we'll have to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Who could truly believe that you've got to consume this guy, Jesus, into your very being if you're going to begin to see this Jesus showing up in your life? John 6, 63, quoting Jesus, says this, the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. So he's now talking to these ones who are going, this is really, they're mumbling, grumbling, this is a hard teaching. And he's saying to them, you know, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Now catch this. From this time, many of his disciples, the ones who belonged, they didn't believe, belonged, turned back and no longer followed him. There is something about being with Jesus, something about even being with Jesus' true followers that allow for people to feel belonging so that they can begin to believe in this God that you believe in. There is something about the way that you welcome people at work or, or, or at your school or where you welcome them in your neighborhood or in your circles of influence that you have this kind of life that if you welcome people in, there's the possibility that they can feel like they belong. And as they belong, they begin to see your beliefs because beliefs really do matter. They do change the things that you do and how you become and what you become. And one of the things I want to make really clear that when we talk about everyone's welcome, we really truly believe that, that everyone in this pew, people are here. You could have been in this church for years. It doesn't mean that you really believe. That you really trust in a relationship where, where Jesus is in your life and really changing your life. You may be here for the first time just checking it out, kind of like you know, kicking the tires to see if this, you know, this is really what I want. And that's great because you belong. We, we want you to feel welcome. We want to love you. We want to care for you. That's the kind of life that Jesus lived. And that's what we talk about when we say everyone's welcome. Now, I don't do that real well. I um, experience it even with family members. Um, last night I was with uh, my wife and I were with my daughter and her son-in-law and, and my other daughter as well. And we were um, together. Um, playing cards, having fun, got done. Um, just as I've kind of like about to leave, my daughter says, you know, my, my oldest daughter, you know, you came by on Friday and I had her, I needed her to write something out for me. She came by on Friday and I really just wanted some warmth and some sense of closeness, you know, and, and you were just on task. And you didn't really relationally connect to me. And I thought, man, that's my daughter. That's not, that's not who I want to be. I, I want to be a person who is, is growing like Jesus and loving people and people feel like they're in, that they're feeling connected to. They feel that there is this sense of, of warmth. And I, I need to grow in that and I need you to help me grow in it. Part of welcoming folks is, is moving into that place where we really seek relational connection in a way where people can actually feel it and, and, and they feel like, yeah, I'm a part of this. And there's all kinds of things you've got to kind of look at. You know, for me, I have to look at, I get kind of real, like, I'm going to do this goal, and especially when I get a little bit like, I can get intense. And when I get there, it's, sometimes it's driven by, by a desire to get something done it's driven by fear and I gotta go you know God I gotta I gotta slow down part of what you were teaching me in the sabbatical which now the elders are gonna give me every every three months I get a seven week sabbatical (laughs) what's your what's your attitude like at work 
Are you judging people? Do you have a, like, a real critical spirit? Do people feel like you truly love them? Even though you don't have to believe like them at all. See, we're not even saying it to belong here. You have to believe everything we believe. We're just, because no one really does, right? Part of maturity is learning how to communicate around that. But we do believe in some basics. You can look at our guiding principles, and we also have it founded on the Word of God. So there's things that we truly believe, but it's okay for people to see things differently, to believe things differently. Jesus gave room for people to move into that, but he also gave hard teachings from time to time where people go, you know, I just, you know, I, I may feel welcome here, but I don't know if I'm walking down that road. And that's okay too. We are about allowing you to belong, to process belief so that you can begin to maybe know not just some doctrines, that's not what it's about, but can know Jesus personally in such a way that you can become a more loving person. That's really the test of any faith. Are you growing more loving? Well, then it's built on this Christ-like character. So if we're going to have this kind of create this kind of Christ-like culture, there's a character, and this is something that kind of has come up recently as we've been working through this with the elders and staff and, and others. And, and we really believe there's some things that are really important. I could list all kinds of characteristics about Jesus. You can look at them all, but we're going to list just three that are really primarily important that create this kind of culture. And this is some of the stuff that we're going to be really f- focusing on in the next year or two years. And there are basic three things. One is humility. Another is trust. And a third is honor. Humility, trust, and honor. I really believe if you have those in place in a right relationship with God, you'll begin to be able to also do that with other people. Humility, trust, and honor. Because when you have humility, trust, and honor like you saw in the life of Jesus, you also then begin to see a kind of culture that welcomes people, that allows for people to not be perfect, and yet allows for an environment for God to work where he can do whatever he needs to do. His capability to do what you can't do shows up. And so we're going to be looking at these qualities, and I'm not going to spend much time on them, except for I was um, processing through this um, a few, about maybe a week or so back, and as I was, pro- I was running on a road that I run um, quite consistently around our house, and I was running, I was thinking about these things, and I was just kind of praying them through in my mind as I was running, and, um, and it occurred to me, these three characteristics that create this kind of culture where everyone is welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible are basically the first of the five big ten. You know, in Africa, they talk about the animals there, they talk about the big five. Well, well, we have the big ten, which is the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, right? And the first of the big five, the first of the big five are really about humility, trust, and honor. Because you, you read it, if you read um, Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 16 sometime, and just meditate through this, the first five say, no other gods before me. It's kind of a humility trust thing. And make no idols. Don't misuse my name. Observe the Sabbath. There's an honoring aspect that's starting to come in here. And the fifth one is the hinge verse. And it says, and then honor your parents. 
Because all these first five speak about these characteristics. If you have humility and trust and honor in relationship to God, which are the first five of those commandments, they're in relationship to God, guess what? That kind of humility, trust, and honor begins to translate into relationships with other people. And so what I think is really interesting about this, and I was, I was thinking about this, you know, if you can do the first of the big five and you grow in humility, trust, and honor, what's really kind of exciting is the next five start to fall in line. And really the next five, when, when you read them, are, it's, it's really God's way of saying, I mean, they're simple commands, they're just basic laws for what I would call developing a healthy community, to do this together. In fact, the, the last five ten of the Ten Commandments, uh, you could actually title Community for Dummies. Think about it. I mean, they're really not hard. I mean, this is how you can learn to get along with people at work or wherever you're at in your home. Don't murder, another per- don't murder other people. Don't take another person's spouse. Don't take other people's stuff. Don't lie about other people to other people. And then don't want what other people have. Just want what God has given you. That's really community for dummies. And so what we're going to try and build here is this kind of Christ-like character and, and develop this within us as we take our next step to know intimately and follow closely and to become more like Jesus so that there will be this Christ-like culture. And I can tell you, if we have this Christ-like culture, people are going to flock to your presence where you go because they're going to want to feel welcome. People want to feel welcome. They want to feel like they can show up with authenticity and, and know that I don't have to be perfect for you. And it creates a kind of environment when God is present in you that he can do amazing things in the lives of people. And so this Christ-like culture kind of comes, it's released, um, uh, uh, releases this, this what I call Christ-like capability. With this culture, upon this kind of communal character, we will be able to do whatever Jesus calls, equips, and empowers us to do. Not whatever you want to do, but whatever, as you walk with him, he equips, calls, and empowers you to do. And, and, and I, I love this because I was, um, in my quiet times, I was reading Ephesians three seventeen through 21, and it stood out to me. Because listen to these words of Paul. He's basically saying the same thing. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together, not alone, but even together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be, this verse came alive to me in my journaling, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I used to go, well, that's kind of interesting. What does it really mean? That that if if the love of Christ, this humility, and and together with this trust in God and and the ability to honor him and and then to translate that into others, it will allow, listen to this, Together, also alone, but together, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And in my translation, as I was writing this in my journal, it says, and in you will be all of God. That's really what he's saying. For as much as you contain, in you will be all of God showing up in ways. When he shows up, he will allow for the anything's possible kind of life to flow through you. You will have Christ-like capability. 
And if you look at Jesus, he didn't go around and just, you know, it wasn't constantly healing others. He was doing what the Spirit of God was calling him to do at the moment. And when the Spirit of God prompted him, and he took the step, and he did it, and he saw God at times do amazing things. And yet, you know what? Everything will oppose us. Everything will oppose. Everything. You hear this? Everything will oppose this idea of in you, God showing up fully. Everything in this world system is opposed to that. Satan himself, evil, is opposed to that. Even the religious right, heavy on the word right, are opposed to that. And catch this. Our own evil, self-centered hearts will oppose us. And if evil's too hard for you, then maybe use the word selfishness. It will oppose us. Listen to the words of the high priest Caiaphas as he met with the chief priests and the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, the highest religious court of Israel, were meeting when Jesus was doing all these kind of miracles. In fact, he had just done this incredible miracle. He had raised from the dead Lazarus. So in John 11, around verse 47, it says he, they're, they're, they're standing around the, 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 high, the, the, the supreme court. They're standing around. What are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many signs. And if we let him go on like this... Everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. I think that's really getting a little arrogant, right? You guys don't know anything. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And he did not say this on his own, says John. John's commenting his editorial here. But as the high priest that year, he prophesied. Here, See, God can prophesy even through a person who doesn't believe in him. He's so sovereign. He can take the things going on in this world right now that we go, oh, God, what are you going to do? And God's going, you know, I just trust me. Uh, just trust me, you know, a part of that character in ourselves. Just have enough humility to trust me. Get out of the complaining. Pray. He did not say this on his own, but it's high priest that you're prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also, catch this, for the scattered children of God, those weren't who, who weren't together, for the scattered nation of God to bring them together and make them One. So from that day on, they plan to take Jesus' life. Everything is going to stand opposed to God showing up fully in you. Satan does not want a Christ-like culture built on a Christ-like character that then moves into the possibility of Christ-like power flowing through you. Because they witnessed one of the most amazing miracles, what I would call one of the most amazing possible works of God through Jesus. And it wasn't some spellbinding teaching, teaching, not some riveting healing. It was the raising from the dead of one of their well-known leaders named Lazarus. They had seen a resurrection. 
And it was very clear what Jesus was capable of doing when he would bring everyone together. And that's what they were afraid of. And yet this was what God was doing. And this had to stop. Caiaphas is thinking as many of the others who seated together at that Supreme Court were thinking, if we don't put a stop to this, we could lose it all. We could lose our titles, our position, our power, our nation. We could lose control. And I was thinking about that. I said, yeah, you're right. You will. Because that's kind of one of the hard teachings here. If you choose to follow Jesus, I mean, you really want Jesus more than your comfort, more than a nice job, more than a, a good marriage. I, I, those come with, they, God often brings some of those things with it. But if you really want Jesus, you will end up turning over control to God. In a Christ-like culture, in a Christ-like character, in a Christ-like capability never comes to our own control, church. It always comes through our yielding of our corporate lives together to Jesus and to whatever the Spirit of God wants. And it comes in powerful ways when together we yield our lives and our wills and our hearts to Jesus. And this is nothing less then I wanted this church, and I think many of you wanted this church. And you can call us fanatics, you can call us crazy, you can call us whatever you want, but hopefully God will call us blessed. Caiaphas expressed his truth. He thought it would be better an end to this whole Jesus hysteria that one man would die for the people. But what Caiaphas didn't know thinking he was so in control was that he was prophesying the very will of God. So John comments, he did this, didn't even realize it. Now here's what I want to just share with you as we look at Genesis. I just want you to go back to Genesis 11 because here's how important this together principle is. And I'm just going to give you this in a few moments. I'm going to let the worship team come forward at this point if they would. But I really want you to catch this because this is the powerful, this, is, this to me is just powerful truth of God. In Genesis 11, you have the story of the Tower of Babel. Together, the people oppose God in pride and seek to build a tower to the heavens. And they're devastating everything. God knows what can happen. So in Genesis 11, we read this. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. Come, they said, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves. But the Lord came down to see this city and the tower that the men were building. And listen to what the Lord says. This is so critically important to understand the incredible capability that we have like in Christ. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Let that sink in for a second. God is saying, together, even opposed to me, one of the laws that I've created here is that when people like a body in in the cells in synchronicity, they come together as one, they can do incredible things. We see it in the Olympics, right? What if one whole body of people and a community of churches came together and, and they said, God, we want you to flow through us. And so he makes this statement against me, opposed to me. They had one language, one people. If one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. They are capable of almost anything. 
But God in his great wisdom and his sovereignty says, come, let us go down. Speaking of the Trinity, this incredible community of oneness, let us together come down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. God does that. They name the place Babel, which means confusion, because he splits them up so they're no longer together because they can't understand each other and they are going their own ways. It's just a picture of what the world is like today, right? And what you, when you look at Caiaphas, he released the anything possible transforming power of Jesus throughout the world like dandelion seeds that are scattered in the wind. Jesus is crucified. He dies. He's resurrected. He sends to heaven. And then he says to his followers, just wait. I have a gift I want to give you. I have a gift that's going to bring you together. And what happened with the curse when you oppose God will be reversed and you will receive a blessing. If you just wait and you begin to pray together and you wait in the upper room together, there will come a time that in Pentecost there will be a giving of the Spirit and the Spirit will be released. And it says that when they came together, and I was going to read this, you can read it on your own, they're in, they're in, the, in, in the city of Jerusalem at a time when the feast when people have come from all different nations speaking different languages and the Spirit of God comes upon them with tongues of, of fire and they speak languages they don't even know and they start speaking these out and people go I can't believe aren't they Galileans aren't they northerners we can even tell by the way their accents are with the language they're speaking but look what happens every person in different languages now understands God and he brings them together for a purpose and throughout history he's been working through his church, and we stand at a really, really pivotal time. You know, some people are saying it's the end times. I don't know. But I think we stand at a pivotal time. When we look at the way the world is, I kind of go, you know what, we can get really angry and we can get all upset about it, or we can say, guess what, the scum's coming to the surface. And, and not other people's, our own. And we could cry out and say, God, once again, would you send your spirit that together we might create a kind of culture where people can know you we might have the kind of character that is so much like you Jesus that it's all about loving so that when we do this you might do some things that we could never possibly ever dream of that's what happens in Ephesians he says you know you'll be filled with the fullness in you will be God fully and you will not be able to imagine or dream or ask. You couldn't even ask enough. I will pour out far more into your life. God did this, not us. God took the curse and he saw man opposed to him together and said they could do almost anything. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But if with your whole body, you said, my whole body, God, I want to serve you. Can you imagine what God could do through you? Could you imagine if you and, and some of you are married with your spouse said, God, together, we, we want to be one like you created us. It says in your word. And we want together to stand with you to do what you want us to do. And, and then you maybe have a family. And together, we want to do this as a family. And a bunch of families come together in a church, which is called a, a community of people who are following Jesus. And we say together, we want to do this. And can you imagine if people in other churches said, we want to do this, could you imagine what could be released? You have to know it would scare the hell out of this place. 
God, we pray for that. We ask that.